0: Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Good morning. So really good to see you all here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption um, Tucson. If you're kind of trying to find a seat, there are some in the back, I think. But uh, unlike a mullet, the uh, party's in the front here. So there is some room um, up front. So, um, uh, Also, if you're new or by way of introduction, um, if you've never heard me preach before, I have a Tutter. so just want to give you all a, a, a heads up on that so you're not trying to fi- figure out what's what's happening uh, as we go uh, along and um uh, very excited to get into Psalm 139 with you to kind of wrap up our our series in the Psalms. Um, but but first, I want to say a few things. One, again, is you know has been said. Um, welcome back if you've been gone throughout the summer. Um, if you started coming uh, throughout the summer and um, and now you're kind of looking around, or you're new and this is your first time here, I want to um, just say like we love our college students. We love being right near one of the world's premier. Uh, you, 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 Universities, definitely Arizona's premier u- university, but um, but but also I just want to say like emphatically, this is not a college church. Um, in fact, those of you who are in college who have been coming, we love you, love that you're here. But we say all of life is all for Jesus, and um, that means really a diverse community of people um, living and growing alongside one another under the good news of Jesus, and so that's what we're all about. And so if you're here and you're looking around and you're like, I don't look like the majority of the people here, will especially welcome, um, in fact, and just for anyone, I'll be up here after at the end of the uh, service, and I'd love to get to know, know you, so please do come up and introduce yourself. Um, in fact, just a couple other things. One is, um, as uh, Alex said at the beginning, we're one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona, and I just want to give a little shout out. One of my uh, kind of me- mentors and really good friends, Luke Simmons, who leads um, Redemption Gateway, which is in Queen Creek and is actually the closest other redemption congregation to us, which is interesting. It's like 80 miles away, but they're our neighbor. So Luke and Mo- Mo- Molly and their kids are here. Really glad to have you guys here. If you've been blessed by Redemption um, Tucson, then you've been indirectly really blessed by Luke. He's really encouraged and kind of of coached me along the way for a long time. Um, And and, um, lastly, kind of in the beginning, in the introduction, um, I want to just spend some time right now to pray together for um, a group of people who are going to be really laying their lives on the line, um, just really exerting themselves for um, the good of others throughout the next few weeks. We have a number of college men ministries here. Um, Crew, InterVarsity, Navigators, Young Life, and Athletes in Action. And there are some people who work full-time for those ministries in the last couple weeks and the next few weeks will just be Uh, exhausting, and they're really pouring their lives out to help college students in that particular context hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, if you work full-time, I know many of you are involved with them, but um, for those of you who specifically work full-time for one of those um, college ministries, will you guys stand um, right now? And we just want to acknowledge you, and I see some of you, so this is the time. Please stand. um, Yeah. And actually remain... Remain standing. Um, if you're near them, um, could you just lay a hand on their shoulder? We're going to um, pray specifically as we want to commission and send you into this year um, a- as you work, again, for God's glory and the that we can gather together um, under uh, the good news of Jesus. And, and um, Lord, for everyone who's here, I pray that you will speak to us and speak through your word. And, Lord, now specifically I want to pray for those who are so Standing, who are investing their lives in college um, ministry, Lord. We thank you for them. I know there are even some who are normally here but are actually on campus even this moment. Morning. Lord, I pray you would go with them, go before them, I pray you would protect them, and Lord, give them incredible favor, um, and, and Lord, let them build the relationships that you, even as we'll learn this morning, have um, ordained before time even began, Lord, that you um, are, are, are doing incredible works that we're excited to see unfold. So, again, Lord, thank you for them, we're, we're grateful to come alongside them and to even um, send them into these next couple of weeks. Um, Lord, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, this is our last sermon in Psalm 139. Aw, yeah, it's, um, and it's, uh, it's been a really good time um, throughout the summer kind of being in the Psalms. I'm really excited for next week. We're starting the Sermon on the Mount, so it's like kind of the OG sermon, if you will. Jesus, um, right out of his mouth, preached um, three chapters worth of content, and we get to just spend time learning and growing in that throughout the fall. Um, but I'm also really glad that we get to kind of end in Psalm one thirty nine um, it 's just a really special, special um, passage, so go ahead and turn there with me. If you have uh, a Bible or an app with you, please turn there and meet me in psalm one thirty nine if you don 't have a Bible with you, please hold your hand up high and keep it up um, and We want to make sure you have a Bible and so someone will give you one, and if you don 't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Um, También, si quieres la Biblia en español, y um, uh, si necesitas, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, um, eso es un regalo a usted. Um, we we want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand and keep in their own language. And again, as we read along, it's especially important that you guys know this isn't just my words, and I'm not just up here giving, you know, telling jokes or saying things like that. Like, this is God speaking to us and we're expectant as we come before him and on that note I want to emphatically say as we get into Psalm 139 and wrap up our series in Psalms um, we're taking Psalm 139 back from women's ministry um, if you're from if you're you've been around church for a while or if you looked up Psalm 139 which I did this week Every image is like birds and flowers and all these things. And let me say, it belongs in women's ministry, absolutely, but not exclusively. Okay, it's for all of us. Um, in fact, the author of it is um, was like a warrior king. He killed a giant and a bear and a lion. Oh my! Um, with his hands. Like, so, okay, so if you're a man here and you're like, sounds kind of poetic to me and I don't know that I'll really get, um, it's for us, okay? Just again, remember who um, wrote this. And and, um, every psalm that we've seen as we've walked through the entire book here um, or as we've kind of hit on some theme throughout the whole book is that God reveals himself and he reveals who he is. And from that, as we look to him, we learn more about ourselves. That our tendency is to kind of start with me and my and what's all about me, and we even, sometimes we even read the Bible that way. But the Psalms really have this kind of overlapping, continual theme of who is God and what is he all about and what is his character and his nature and his works, and then from there, we learn more appropriately and more rightly about ourselves. And um, as we get into this, um, I, I want to just kind of call out to all of us that we have an identity crisis you can even turn to your neighbor and say you have an identity crisis and um you can work that out afterward if you're um and you can also say i have an identity crisis and this is just true um wherever you are whomever you are even if you like want to present a bravado or an image of like i know who i am i don't care I think that even there is like I'm gonna define myself and I'm gonna you know declare who I am. Some of you guys are way too young to remember this, but a number of years ago, you could buy hair product for like fifty dollars. I someone this morning was just talking to me about this. I was like, I cut my own hair. Okay, news is out, so don't judge me. I cut my own hair. It's free. I, I can do it whenever I want but there was, so I never used hair product, but you could buy hair product that like was really expensive and you, and you did stuff to make it look like you didn't do anything. Like you just woke up and got out of bed and went off and did your thing. And, and that was kind of cool then. And it was like, man, that's a lot of money and a lot of effort to act like you don't care. So, so wherever you're from, like we are, we're wondering, well, who am I? How do I f- entering into your identity and my purpose? If you're new to school and you're entering into your, your kind of college years or you're entering into a new season of life, I think the same is true, really, for, for all of us. And what we see specifically in this psalm this morning together is that God reveals himself in such a way that as we see him more clearly, we then are under, able to understand ourselves more correctly. And then through that, we're able to see others more appropriately and that's what we'll see as we walk through this and and um and so again I just want to encourage you to kind of pull back any kind of any kind of identity that maybe you've been forming or you think even here that you need to uphold and just see okay god show me yourself And from there, I think I'll come into a little bit more clear view. And so this is broken up into four stanzas. And as you see, just to kind of give you a heads up on where we're heading, is throughout this psalm, um, you'll see throughout these 24 verses that are broken up, you see um, that God reveals himself and that God is all-knowing and God's all-present and he's all-powerful and he's all-good. And as the psalmist, David, walks through this, um, there's, there's kind of a tension of, at first, some kind of struggle with these things. I think like many of us here is, you know, some of these things, if we're honest about it and we dig in, it's like, I don't know how I feel about that. But as he goes, there's a, there's a tone and a kind of a building of momentum of joy in understanding God appropriately, and then from there being able to see yourself more rightly. He responds, and this is joy, joy joy-filled. And so, just beginning right away in verse 1, it starts, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. That that first first phrase there, those first two words, O Lord, are important, because um, this is clear that, as he goes into every other aspect that we're going to read, where he, he understands um, who he is more clearly, in this beautiful, intimate language is used, it doesn't just start in a vacuum. It begins with, with the Lord. As John Calvin says, um, the, the Lord, the God of the Bible, the one with whom we have to do. Okay, what that means is like the real Lord, the real God, the one with whom we relate. And I think our tendency might be to think, well, God's, you know, I don't know, everyone has their own definition of God and whatever that is is fine. Well, that leads to this identity crisis because if you don't start from the right foundation, then it's just up to you or your neighbor or someone else or your job or your family background or your bank account or whatever to define your identity. But if you start with the Lord, a real, true Um, personal God who reveals himself in those ways, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, and all-good, then you're able to understand yourself most rightly. And so that's where he starts with that, and it's important to not just skip right past it and just go on from there, but he continues and, and says, so in light of that, Lord, you have searched me and known me. So again, okay, now I can look inward. Now I can understand myself more appropriately because I'm starting out with you, And with how you relate with me and interact with me. And and this kind of language builds. He says in verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. There's this kind of building of, okay, when I sit down, when I stand up, well, do you still know everything? Yeah, you do. And it's kind of building, building. You know um, when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. Um, You know what I'm going to say even before I do. Now, that's not just saying for those of us that have a speech impediment, it might take a little longer for the word to come out of our mouth. God's like, I know what you're going to say. This is like before you even know what you're going to say it, uh, God knows. He's all-knowing. I mean, just kind of settle in there for a minute and, and, and think about God knowing everything. And, and how do you f- feel about that? Are you af- offended by it? Is it a little bit creepy? Because um, I think apart from um, God's design, it, it's, it's not natural for us to just respond and be like, yeah, I'm so glad that God knows everything. In fact, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapters 1 2 and 3 you see how we get in this place where we are today where god created everyone created humanity god said let us make man in our image in the image of god he made him, male and female, he made them. And, and, then, and then God said, I know everything, I'm all-knowing, and, and, and I will give myself to you and you will know me and your, 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 your confidence and your, your IQ and your intelligence and all these things will come from knowing me, that God is all-knowing and that we would derive our knowledge and our wisdom from him, from a, an intimate relationship with him. But in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are kind of great, 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 great times many grandparents where we get this same posture, said, I don't know that I want that. I don't know that that sounds good. Thanks, but no thanks, God. I, I want to I be all-knowing. I, I want to know it all. I, wanna, I don't want to depend on you. I don't want to need you. I want to have it all all to myself. And, and, then, and so then there's an, an, an offense to depending on God, and that's where sin enters into the world. And sin, very simply put, means... Not God. Again, it means thanks but no thanks. It means, God, why don't you step aside? Why don't you hang out on the shelf? Why don't you go there? And I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And so when it comes to knowledge, there's this, there's this first flinch of, I don't want to have to depend on God. But as, as David writes here, and it, and it unfolds there, um, kicking up in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. There's an appropriate humility here that he starts to understand. As he's, as he's going through there, as he's wrestling with, God, I don't know, I, I, you're, you're all-knowing, but I kind of want to be all-knowing too. I kind of I want to determine what's good and true and right in, in the world. And I want to define, you know, who I am to each his own, right? As long as you don't hurt anybody, whatever you believe is fine, But in that vertical relationship with God, our creator, apart from him, we're offended by his omniscience. That's the kind of big word for his being all-knowing. And yet, the the heart starts to soften here, and there's there's an acceptance, and even saying it's too great for me to understand. And then he continues on down in verse 7, and you see that God is all-knowing, and he's all-present in verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Let me ask you, where can you go and get away from God? Nowhere, nowhere. But, but okay, practically in your life, how, how do you function, how do you live? Do you think in your mind like, okay, this kind of God's, Okay, yeah, I left God there. I left God on Sunday. I left God in my quiet time in the morning. I left God there, and now it's kind of, this is me time. This is, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of deal. You know, or I'm now entering into my college context, or I'm in my mid-20s now. I'm going to do some things now, and God's going to kind of hang out, and then later I'll invite him back in. You know, he, he, that, that's, not, that's not who the God of the Bible truly is. That's not, as he's revealing himself He's eerie, present. And again, our our, our first flinch, I think, is is that's eerie, and that's a little disconcerting. It's a little bit like, I don't know how I feel about that, that God is ever-present. In fact, in the very beginning, again, back to the garden, when, when, when Adam and Eve had this intimacy, this relationship with God, when God would walk in the garden, God would be, God would be with them. He would, he would come alongside them like a, like a child running to see um, their mom and dad coming home from work. There was an excitement of, hey, you know, God's here. God the Father, our creator, the one in, in whose image we're made is here. Like, let's go. There's intimacy. There's, there's, there's no shame. There's nothing there. God's ever presence is so delightful. and and, and, and shapes my life. But then when sin entered into the world, when not God, when brokenness, when when discord on that vertical relationship entered in, it entered in on a horizontal level as well. That, That relationship with others, between husband and wife, between different ethnicities, different socioeconomic tax brackets, different countries, different people groups, all these things, discord and, and fear. At the bottom line, it always comes back to fear. Racism, uh, prejudice, hatred, discord in the home, um, you know, tug of war, I'm gonna get mine. It comes back to this fear and this shame and this idea of, of I don't wanna be fully known, I don't wanna be found out because that, that's a scary place to be. And that's what happened when God said, Adam, where are you? God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, again, something that should have brought elation, excitement, joy. Adam hid. They, they, they hid from one another. Shame entered into their, they knew they were naked and they were ashamed. They were vulnerable and it was really uncomfortable. And then God comes and they're like, oh, hide. And God says, where are you? Some of the most tragic words. Where are you? My creation, my people, who I formed with, with clay, God used, whom, who I breathed life into. How intimate. And yet, you and I have hidden from God and feel a need to hide from Him because of sin. And yet, thankfully, God doesn't leave us there. The story doesn't end there. In uh, Hebrews, We see in in, um, chapter four, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, I've been talking about Genesis chapter 3 back there, but, but now we're talking about what, what's to come for all of us in the future. That Every one of us, okay, if you're a person, if you're a human, this just says we will stand before God, this creator God um, who, who, who designed us purposefully and with, with intimacy, and then one day we will stand before him and give account, and if we have lived in a world, if we've, if we've said, no thanks, God. If we've said, not God. I want that to define myself. I don't want God's all-knowing, all-presence to, to define me. I want to do it on my own. I want to I do my own thing. And then one day we will stand before God and, and give an account. And we'll, we'll actually see this in the Sermon on the Mount in about a, m- a month. But Jesus will say, um, depart from me. I never knew you. But... The good news is that God doesn't leave us there. God entered in. Jesus came. Almighty God. Fully God. Came into our broken condus. Came into our shame. Born as a baby in a manger. Entered into our brokenness. Entered into our not God defined world. And came here to make new what has been broken. And to restore you and me to each other and to him. And the good news in Hebrews. That same chapter. A couple of verses Later, or chapters later in chapter 13, Jesus himself says and is, 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 is quoted as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In John chapter 10, we see the beautiful picture of Jesus saying, all those who have been entrusted to me, I will not let be taken from my hands. There's, there's this promise that this all-knowing, all-present God entered into our context and says, come to me, give, give, give me your life, and I will give you eternal life in return. Your, your hopelessness, and your shame, and your brokenness, I will take on myself, as he hung naked on the cross, and he took the wrath of God that said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he hangs on the cross and says, it is finished, the debt has been paid in full, the shame has been removed, the the need to hide from one another and from our creator God has been taken away. And then Jesus victoriously rose from the dead and said, your identity and your purpose has been restored, put your trust in me and I will give you life. And that relationship that we were created for can be restored. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. That, that's, that's what, what I, I want us to hear. Is, is, as you consider, as you ask that question, who am I and who is God? Again, that's the question that every psalm answers. A.W. Tozer famously said, I, I just said it last week, but he said, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And it's not just on a philosophical, intellectual, theological level, but that's the most important thing about you because in order for you to understand you and your life and your neighbor and your purpose and your relationships, it comes from knowing God rightly. God is all-knowing. And he's all present. And in this, in this psalm, the, the language now starts to pick up in terms of a surrender and a joy of, of um, understanding, yeah, that's right, God, God does truly know um, all, all, and, and I'm gonna just rest in that. So picking up in verse 13, we see that God is all-powerful. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God's power, again, apart from his grace, apart from being restored through faith in Jesus, which I just talked about, apart from that, in and of ourselves. Okay, that's a scary thing. Right? God's power, you start to think of, of, of man, this all-knowing, all all-present, all-powerful God. Oh, his power is terrifying. And you see that reflected in things like Greek mythology, right? And their understanding of the gods. Which, though, we don't have gods that we give names to, like Zeus and, you know, Poseidon and things like that. But, um, but that same idea sometimes is how we view God. We view, like, I don't know, this ogre in the sky that it's what's right. Apart from grace, God is greater than any one of those kinds of gods, right? And you see the people cowering and the gods were these angry, often drunken, selfish, you know, lightning bolt-throwing gods whose whose, whose power um, left their subjects, the people just terrified and running around and not knowing what to do. But how does God display his power according to this psalm? God most clearly displays his power when he created you, when he created you, he shows his power by knowing the number of hairs on your head. And I know that's harder for, for some of us than others, right, for him to know, but um, I'm getting there. My power alleys are creeping back. But um, he, he, he knows that, he, and not just that, he knows how he formed you when you were still in your mother's womb. You see here the sanctity of human life. You see here God caring about, about every child before they're born, before they're even conceived. All right, and I know there's a mystery here in all of this. But it leads this author, and I pray that it leads us too to, to just respond and and it's too great for me to understand. I I can't even attain to I can't understand, so I worship. So I give my life, so I surrender to you, God. And you see that that He knit you together. The the language here is so crazy that it's like even um in your inward parts, that's like your organs, literally your kidneys and the size and on a micro level, the, how many molecules and how they function and what's going on in each one of us. In this room, in this city, in this world, God knows and has known before the beginning of time and he reveals his power through that, through his intimate knowledge on a micro level. And on a macro level, you look at places like the last chapters in Job or in, in um, Isaiah, chapters 51 and 53, where you see just this display of God's power and, and, and holding the expanse of the universe in the span of his hands. like That's like from the thumb to the forefinger and, and, and holding the depths of the seas in the, in the palm of his hand. Like, that's on a micro and a macro level. God reveals his power. And in this case, what leads to worship is understanding. And God, you do that not in a way that should cause me to tremble in fear and in in, in anxiety, but in in worship. That's beautiful. God knows you, and he created you purposefully. Purposefully. And back in, uh, in verses 10 through 12, you see there that, that his knowledge and his power is revealed. That, that It says in verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That God, God reveals his power in his relationship with you and me and all who have put their faith in Christ and been restored to him in in that he protects you. It says, um, you hold me in your right hand, that that, that through protection, God reveals his power, and that is comforting and good news. And then also, through... Direction, through direction and protection. That God says, um, I will lead you in, in, in every way. And, and you see that. He says, and then in verse 11, I say, Surely darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. So even darkness, in the lowest low, wherever you find yourself, wherever you've been, whatever has happened in your life, if you've you know gone down a road and you say, How in the world did I get here? God, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with myself, what I've let others do to me what I've done to others this this world defined by not God and the good news is God said even there I am with you Jesus says again I will never leave you nor forsake you I've got you and then in verse 18 I think this is so beautifully spelled out here he says, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. That's, that's the sum of God's knowledge and wisdom and thoughts. And then he says, I awake and I am still with you. And as I read a lot of different commentaries and different things like that, what does that mean, if I, if, if I awake, I am still with you? Well, one thought that I think is true, I think they're actually both true, one is this. It's like saying, like, my brain hurts <laughs> from thinking about the, the, the macro and the micro. You just, some of you can tell I'm not a science background as I get those two confused, but I've worked hard on this. Okay? A macro, a big level, and a micro level, an intimate, small, detail level that God's intimacy and his knowledge and his wisdom and his power is so great, and that just leads you to saying, like he's like, I, can't, I, just, I just have to take a nap. I'm tired. You're, you're so great, God. I can't even get it. I lay down, and then I wake up, and I'm not dreaming. That, that emotional high might leave, but then I come to and I acknowledge, even there, you are still with me. Your, your, your knowledge and your presence and your power define me wherever I am, in the highest of highs and the lows of lows. And that's true. I think the second interpretation is even, um, is just as true and perhaps even more profound. The, in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, um, often when somebody died, it's, it's, it says, well, they f- fell asleep, or they went to sleep with their fathers. The, the language is often used. And if you even remember, sometimes Jesus, when he's coming up and he shows up and somebody died, and then others say, well, he fell asleep, and, 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 this, and this kind of language is used. Well, well here, um, I think that's being used, and it's saying, even when I die, my hope is still in you. I'm still with you. I just went to a f- a f- funeral, a memorial service, uh, ye- 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 yesterday afternoon, and um, some of you know we have some in here who are who who work for the Tucson f- Fire Department, and c- c- Captain Mo- Martin Green, um, who actually his kids are classmates of my kids in their school. He he suddenly. Um, passed away earlier last week and and, and there was an incredible service um, during the day yesterday in uh, in honoring this great public servant and I got to actually witness a great family man and just a great all round guy and and, and death is is horrible and sad. What greater enemy to our identity and our purpose than death, The, the finality of it? And yet the good news of God revealing himself in his his knowledge and his presence and his power is that we can understand and look that even death is no longer the great enemy because I awake and I am still with you. In Romans chapter eight, we see this here, the author Paul says, as he's reflecting on this, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death nor life. Whatever happens when we understand God more rightly and we see his power displayed, there is incredible comfort that we look at death and we do mourn and say, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We shed tears. We don't, we don't quote that verse right when someone is mourning and weeping, but, 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 but in, the, in the off times, if you will, when we gather together in our, in our singing, in our, in our time together, we live in such a way that the foundation has been laid where we understand God most rightly that even in that most tragic and difficult place, We can join as even the author Paul, who wrote that in Romans, he also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, he says, now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I also am known. Now I see as in a mirror dimly, but then I will see clearly face to face. This understanding, he also says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is not just something to brush apart, like, oh, who cares? Death doesn't matter, whatever. No, but he's even in that place, is understanding, whatever I do, I live. All of life is all for Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. As you guys know, I always butcher songs. I am not a musician. I think it's something along those lines, but the, the gist is essentially stays the same. No matter where I am, the good news of Jesus defines me so that God's, God's, God's knowledge and his presence and his power even in the face of death, brings hope. And then lastly, in verses 19 through 24, God reveals that he's good. And he does it in kind of a, maybe a weird way, okay? I'll admit, the last times I've preached through Psalm 139, I actually found a sermon from a number of years ago when we first moved here to town. I preached up at a good friend of our church's, uh, Holy Cross Church, who we've prayed for here before. And, um, I was like, wow, I just totally took the the easy way out and just skipped. I just didn't even get into something. But something's important, okay? We take God's word seriously. We stand when we read his word, and so we can't just skip through that. And I want to just quickly hit on this. In verse 19, he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Wow. Wow. That seems a little out of place here in the rest of Psalm 139. But if you look down further in verses 23 and 24, you see a humility. Okay, David's not at home putting everyone else on Facebook blast. All the other, oh, all the liberals, the liberals and this kind of undefined, all them. God, I hate them. You hate them too, right? Just blast them. We don't even care about them. And, and, and or all the crazy conservatives, right? Just, God, take care of them. Blast them. Like, that's I, our tendency, right? Whoa, got a little uncomfortable here. Amen? Okay? Come on. We're, but, but you don't see that. You see here in verses 23 and 24, he includes himself. He has a humble posture of understanding Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me, right? That's probably not the norm as you've seen over the last year, the political dialogue of like, well, you know, this is my sin, this is my fault. No, it's just boom, 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 where's everyone else coming from? But what this is acknowledging and recognizing is that sin, as Cornelius Plantinga said, is not the way it's supposed to be. That, that, that the world apart from God, that broken relationship and intimacy with one another, that fear and prejudice and racism and hatred and, 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 and injustice and death is not the way it's supposed to be. And this is calling out, Lord Jesus, come and make new what has been broken. Deal with evil. And the good news that we know is that God will and has and does deal with evil. As we re- re- read earlier On one day, the final day, Jesus will judge the living and the dead and will deal with evil. That any injustice done against you, anything that, any sin that any of us has committed or has been done against us, Jesus will deal with. But for those who have put their faith in Christ, the good news is that it has been dealt with. That when God poured out his wrath on the cross and Jesus said, it is finished, It is acknowledging sin is not the way it's supposed to be and a good God, an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, all-good God doesn't just sit back inept and just let things happen, but he deals with it. He makes new what has been broken. And that's good news and that's why I I implore you and I call as we respond now, I pray that this has brought delight to you. Um, I pray that this would define you. I pray that who God is and how he's revealed himself would shape every single one of us so that as we respond in worship and in communion and in prayer, we would would see God more rightly and understand ourselves more clearly. What would it look like for you if you saw yourself this way? My thought is that self-loathing, identity crises, um, paralyzing anxiety, that uh, relational discord in the home, uh, suicide, would, 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 would start to fade away as we see God and we understand him more rightly and then from there we're able to understand ourselves and our identity and our purpose is restored and defined by the finished work of Jesus who died and rose again. But I pray that it doesn't stop there. Hey, I pray that you and I would see ourselves and would see one another that way. But what about others? What about people that we don't agree with? What about the people that we're tempted to put on blast? What about the people that we're tempted to say, yeah, them, they deserve wrath. God, I hate them. God, clearly they're the people that you're just gonna gonna, gonna go after and they don't deserve anything. Well, guess what? We all deserve one thing. We deserve judgment and wrath and eternal separation from God. We have chosen, as, as, as Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. We've all wandered away from our Creator. We've all said thanks, but no thanks. So as we see this more rightly, as we understand God and His goodness, and we are able to see ourselves more rightly, my prayer is that we would acknowledge and recognize, maybe I don't see my neighbor the way I'm called to. Maybe through my actions or my words, I haven't valued life, the sanctity of human life before birth. Or maybe I haven't valued life, the sanctity of human life after birth. Maybe I've cringed it. I can't utter the words out of my mouth of of, of acknowledging injustice to specific people groups or demographics. Maybe God, maybe there's racism, maybe there's, maybe there's judgment, maybe there's fear and shame in how I relate on a horizontal level with other people, with other image bearers of God. My prayer is that he would bring us to a place as he's revealed himself and is revealing himself to us, that we would see ourselves rightly and see others more appropriately so that we can truly live all of life in response to the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, and all-good God and live our lives for his glory and the good of others, and in that could find our joy. That's the life he has created us for, where our identity and our purpose are grounded in him. And that's good news, amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we do thank you for this time. We, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for you. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us there and say, good luck, you know, define yourself, figure it out, you know, just, just do what you're going to do, just be you, and, um, and there, that brings incredible pressure. But Lord, you say, come to me, I will, I will, uh, I will give you life, I will, I will show you who I've designed you to be, your height, your weight, your, your ethnicity, your, your life, your, your coming and your going and all that you do. Your relationships on every level. or God, they're meant to come from you. And I pray that you would continue to do that work in us even now as we respond. Lord, I pray that we would respond individually and together. Hopefully, in response to the good news of the person and work, life, death, and resurrection and rule of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.